I feel I would like once um, at the Prince Charles we were showing <laughs> Last Temptation of Christ. It might have been Easter. And uh, this guy who is sort of like a, a fun, fun regular who likes to talk to, to the staff and stuff sometimes was like really perplexed by that film. And by the ending of the film, <laughs> he was just like... <laughs> Did he not know the story? Yeah, he had never seen it before. And he was asking me about it like before we went in. And I was just like, all right, uh, like I, I've seen this before, but it's been a very long time and I just want to, you know, rewatch it. And yeah, maybe we'll mm. talk about it after just kind of get him to like go inside. Cause there's yeah. people I was trying to like check in. Yeah. After the film was over, he was just like, ah, oh, like, you know, it's a very good movie, but I'm just like, I'm not too sure about, <laughs> about that ending there, you know? And, um, you know, Jesus wouldn't do that. <coughs> And I was just like, dude. But he that, did do that. And that's, and that's like the fucking title of the movie. It's called The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> well, it's just like, that's the whole point that he was, I think he was confused at saying that Jesus wouldn't like, you know, have a relation with the prostitute and stuff. And, oh, and like a I don't know life the movie. And all that. But it's just like, but that, oh, is that the ending of the movie? That's. The last temptation of Christ. Like, that's the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, oh, but why did he dress up like a giant bat? And you're like, it's Batman. <laughs> it's like, it, the movie is called Batman. Like, no, no, I got that. But like, why a bat? <laughs> why a bat? Like he, why a bat? Like, he got the ears and the, and the, he got the bat on the chest. Yeah. And um, he throws little bats at um, criminals. But why? It's the last temptation of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Bob Charles Cinecast. <laughs> Presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. This is your host, John the Foster. I'm here today with my bunny boy. <laughs> here comes Peter Cottontail hopping down the rabbit bunny trail. It's Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello. <laughs> 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 this is Phil's first time on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm really excited to have him here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm playing uh, a guest. A guest this week. Yeah, it's something yeah. we haven't had in a long time. Hi, hi, jo- Jonathan. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, okay. I just get quieter and quieter. <laughs> <laughs> why Batman? Why Bat? Why? <laughs> why Batman? <laughs> hey, uh, hello. What's up? How are you? I'm alright, man. You doing alright? It's a new day. It's uh, yeah, I'm doing alright. Mm-hmm. The sun is shining, which is nice. Yeah, you know, does a lot. Spring is here. Spring is here. So spring. The mood. Spring has. Mood's sprung. coming up a bit. I can just hang out and I can sit in the garden and read for the first time in a year, which is very, very nice. Must be nice. Must be nice. All that. Must be nice. Yeah. Must be nice. Yeah. Must be. Nice. All right. Must be nice. Be shitty about it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not have a garden? Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, I've got a nice park really close by. Well, you know. But you have to like leave the house to go there. Yeah, and also I have, to, I have like work to do, so I have to like work when it's nice and sunny. Outside. Oh, you have work to do? Yeah. You're saying I don't have work to do? I got work to do. <laughs> 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 Which kind of makes like the first really, really nice days that appear 
of the spring really depressing because you're just stuck inside working all day. Looks nice. Can't enjoy it. Yeah, I'll just get mad at you for getting to have a good time. And um and I'm I'm not working. It <laughs> <laughs> it's sunny, but I'm still like, you know. You're still what? Sad. Still sad on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how I see taking my vitamin C pills and vitamin D pills. It's like I'm getting my hit of sunshine, uh, but I still feel dead on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> but on the outside, you're glowing. That's good. You know? I'm happy to be glowing. And you know what makes me glow, yes. Phil, is a little bit of user feedback. Look at that segue. <laughs> yeah, oh, beautiful. Uh, Phil, we're living in the future, so this is off of our Ghostbusters episode. We had our a, a newer listener who's been uh, following Ooh. us as of late on Twitter, named Robbie Richmond. Howdy. He uh, said that he listened to this talking about the Ghostbusters episode, and he said it was great fun. I vividly recall watching it on VHS, and it had an advert before the film from Coca-Cola. When something like, here comes a scary movie, enjoy a Coke and a scare. Then they went ad bonkers with Weird Al and then super bonks with Ghostbuster 2 tie-ins. Yeah, kind of interesting too, because like last week when we were talking about Coca-Cola and their history of with Ghostbusters. and how Yeah, and then sponsoring the new one. Because yeah. <laughs> they obviously like, were just like, fuck this film. But then once it became a hit, they were like, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, we can we tie love, it in. We love some Ghostbusters, yeah. <laughs> let's go crazy. Let's let's. How about you guys draw the uh, ghost character uh, chucking back a Diet Coke? Yeah. Uh, how about we just put <laughs> Weird Al in a video and just go nuts with it, you know? Ghostbusters, crazy. Coca-Cola, crazy. crazy. Enjoy Coke. <laughs> Oh, it's nice to hear from Robbie. Thanks for uh, tuning in, Robbie. And we hope you enjoy that episode. And uh, we hope you keep listening. Yeah, thank you. We also had our pal Caged In podcast, who I'll be on very soon with again, talking about Rocky. Mm. He said, another great episode of the PCC podcast with some spicy hot takes from Tall for All. I don't remember any spicy hot takes. I was telling, I was spitting truths. And uh, some Stranger Things Venom (laughs) from Far Away Sad. He ain't lying. Yeah. And you're you're like, you're getting worked. I could see you getting worked up. I'm getting up there. Yeah, like (laughs) my shoulders are up. My nose is flaring. Yeah, my red, (laughs) like my cheeks all flushed. I don't like it, right? I just don't. I'm already sort of annoyed. It's not even out yet. It won't be out. Stranger Things this morning. Yeah. What's that? Sorry? Yeah. I went off about Stranger Things this morning, like unconnected to this, but you, you can see it's just always on my mind. I, yeah, I remember. I think uh, I think mind. all your takes were correct. Yeah, from what I remember. Although you didn't like Ghostbuster Two and Ghostbuster Two, the banger. Oh, there we go. It's out the bag. It's an absolute banger. It's <laughs> not <laughs> <That's> a bag. <laughs> we also got called out by Cheap Show Pod when posting out about the Ghostbusters episode, saying. And yet they didn't even have the gall to ask Paul Gannon to be a guest. <laughs> shocking. Absolutely shocking. Shot fired. Yeah. 
Didn't know that was an option. Didn't know that was, that's kind of what I said. I was like, I didn't know we were on your radar, uh, Paul. So I apologize. Um, but I appreciate if we ever do Ghostbusters again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said if we, we do, do like a redux or, cut or the Afterlife episode? or anything like that. I mean, maybe Afterlife would be kind of funny because how much like, like, you know, I don't want to watch hatred it. towards Stranger Things you have. But yeah, Paul Gannon is, he's actually writing a book called Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. And I, to be honest, I just didn't realize that he was such a Ghostbusters fiend. Um, Cheap Show Pod is uh, pretty fun. But yeah, I didn't know we were on their radar. So, uh, I mean, maybe he's vanity searching Ghostbusters and that's how he found it. I don't know. Yeah, we all do. (laughs) Is it a vanity search if you aren't the person actually being talked about though? Um, if you're only searching it to see if people are talking about your connection to it, then yes, <laughs> I do it. I do it with this podcast. Oh yeah. I, you okay. know, yeah. I'll type our name into like Reddit and see if anyone said anything. Yeah. We've popped up a few times, they but in like fan on like, <laughs> but like on threads, like on a, you know, like a Kevin Smith thread, they'll be like, Oh, fucking this podcast, you know, interviewed him, check it out. That was and probably me. People be like, "Oh yeah, I know that place." It's probably you. <laughs> it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ninja Turtles one popped up. Oh, that's um, nice. I don't think a few, a few, a few have popped up. But yeah, I was like hoping one day, one day, I'm gonna go on the internet and innocently type in Podchance in the car, and then it's gonna be like a fan club, and like people are gonna there's gonna be like discussion threads on every episode, and people have <laughs> like, you know like organized there's like a running one with snack time that's like updated weekly one day one day man i'm just trying to throw this i'm trying to put this detail there <laughs> so i feel better about myself <laughs> but if i have to like ask it's not the same <laughs> i want it to be natural yeah that's why you can just be like well one day i hope i'm not asking you to i'm just kind of saying i hope i hope i'm not asking i'm not asking yeah. <laughs> You're like, I would never. Uh, you're like one of those parents that are just trying to like con their kids into doing some chores. Just be like, I'm not, a- I'm not asking you. I'm just saying it'd be nice if you cleaned your room once in a while. I'm not. No, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not asking you to clean your room. I'm not. I'm not asking you. I'm just telling you, do it. Fucking clean it. <laughs> do it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of other podcasts, Phil and I actually appeared on a Flix Watcher podcast uh, together. Yeah, for the second time. For the second time. So there's two episodes out now. Mm-hmm. One, uh, the most recent yeah. was for Zodiac. Zodiac, which was your choice. Which was my choice to talk about. And, yes. Uh, Phil, Phil chose uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, and that was out a couple weeks back. I did. I did choose The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, maybe I regret that choice now. But <laughs> at the time, I thought it was a good idea. You know, if you listen to the Zodiac episode, you'll hear the clear sound of me backing up John and his choice. And, you know, we agreed on most things. But, you know, when it came down to my film, it just, um, I don't know, it just felt, you know, I didn't I didn't get that, you know. I felt like a little bit of a dog pile was happening. And, you know, Phil, anything you were joining in. Just joining in. Joining in on the dog pile. <sighs> yeah. Could have had... I mean, but it's cool, dude. It's cool. You can't, whatever. Cool. Yeah. I'm not angry. It's, it's kind of, not angry. Kind of, kind of sounds like you're a bit 
I just, you know, I just don't want to, you know, shouldn't have to, you know, like we, you know, we're co-hosts, you know, mm. we should look out for each other, you know, even if you didn't, you know, like the movie, you know, didn't have to leave me out there <laughs> just to fend for myself. But it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. I don't feel stupid or anything. I mean, I, it's fine. Um, Zodiac went a lot better, so I guess mm, you know we can forget about it. Yeah, mm. um, they were good. Yeah, they were. Mm. Yeah, but they were good episodes. Everybody should go listen to them. Yeah, everybody go check out Flix Watcher. Phil and I are both on. There's two episodes out there, like we said. Um, yeah, and one I guess two episodes. Very different episodes. Very different episodes. <laughs> but, but yeah, you can go check them out at Flix Watcher. Uh, look it up. They they have a really great show going on where they're just checking out like they do it. all these different films on Netflix, and they're two great people, Kobe and Helen. Very nice for them to have us on. Um, and they're just about to hit their two hundredth episode, so congrats to them as well. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we're halfway. We have to catch up. Yeah, we're almost. Up. We're almost. We should start doing two a week. <laughs> just do like ten a week. I'll boost the numbers. <laughs> These episodes are long, dude. Let's just do part one, part two for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually considered that. Well, Phil, we are out of reboot moon. We're done. Reboot moon. Last week we was, made it. Was the end? How how are we feeling about it? The ends of reboot moon. You know, I feel like I'm still living in a reboot moon world. It's a reboot year. The mm-hmm. root reboot year. Your Ute? Yeah. The reboot Ute. It doesn't work. I was like, we were done and I wanted to move on. And then but those movies are still coming out. So I can't get out of the headspace. We didn't have as much cloud as we thought we did. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought things were going to change in Hollywood. Yeah. No, but it, it, you know, just talking about them gave me, you know, a better understanding mm-hmm. of uh, why I dislike Stranger Things so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the only thing we got the out of the only that. thing i took away not the fact that like we thing. were both pretty hi- hyped up on uh godzilla versus kong in the end that was that was a fucking great movie as well actually yeah um yeah. that was the best thing i got out of this yeah. month so i'm looking forward to it that should be out uh as we record i think tomorrow or the next day or something so tomorrow it's coming out very soon tomorrow um if we happen to watch it ladies and gentlemen we'll let you know but hey the show must go hmm. on and uh this week we have a from one holiday to another special episode. <laughs> yeah, reboot month is a whole <laughs> month long celebration. Uh, reboot month, yeah. and uh, Mood. yeah, we we move on to a special episode to celebrate Easter, which is uh, this weekend <gasps> for us as we're recording in the future. And a couple days ago, if you're listening to it, hope the Easter bunny was good to you, ladies and gentlemen. Hope he left mm. you some oh. some chocolate eggs or chocolate rabbits or whatever yeah. he fucking does. Big ones and small ones. <laughs> Where do they come from? <laughs> and Where do they come from? <laughs> and there is There's only one. one appropriate film for such an occasion if we're talking about bunny. We're talking bunnies. And we're talking time travel. Phil. What? What <laughs> film are we talking about this week on the podcast? Darko. <laughs> Donnie Darko. Sound like a superhero. <clears throat> what makes you think I'm not? <laughs> Just imagine. He's not doing a Batman voice. What makes you think I'm not? Daisy.
Real or imaginary? After narrowly escaping being crushed to death by an airplane engine because he was or he wasn't hopped up on drugs and sleepwalking, troubled teenager Donnie Darko, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, befriends Frank, a large bunny man, a figure in a bunny costume only he can see, who informs Donnie that the world will end. In 28 days, 6 hours, Halloween, 42 minutes and 12 seconds. It's the 2001 sci-fi psychological time-traveling thriller. 2001. We're back. 2001. Oh, God. We're back in 2001. Shit. I didn't even realize. (laughs) Writer, director, Richard Kelly. 20th anniversary this year. Holy cow. Phil, hot takes out the gate. Wow. Mark the filmmaker, Richard Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking all tours today, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking pioneered. Yeah. Look, for everything that's probably about to be said on this episode, mainly from you, I think, I still think Donnie Darko isn't a great film. And it was a very formative film for me Mm. and many people. It's a way in to a whole different kind of cinema. You know, when you were a teenager, like I imagine the way most people watch it, the way I watched it was like as a teen. And you watch it and you're like, this isn't like anything else I've seen. And a few years go by and you're like, it's not, you know, as special anymore because you've seen a lot of things like it. Like having, we watched it like twice in recent memory and it's sort of become like an Easter tradition now. Um, and Halloween. I watched it again <laughs> over Halloween. Yeah, because it's set at Halloween. It's just time. really, <laughs> it's just really fun. And it just, I can't, kind of like Ghostbusters, it's a fucking myth like a weird mishmash of ideas and genre and things that shouldn't work, but they do. And it turns into this really sort of unique kind of cool artifact of a movie. I think it's still really good, really enjoyable with all its bits that 
you can make fun of that load the bit, I think, have aged really well and keep it from falling into obscurity. Mm. And yeah, I'll stand by this one. I think Donnie Darko is a fucking cool little movie. You know, I think there are reasons why it's good <laughs> and why other things are not good. Yeah. You know, from which Kelly. But yeah, I'll get into it later. What about you? I'm curious now. Did you did you watch one version for this or yeah. two versions? I only watch the OG, good. which I was thankful good one. was available via Amazon Prime. Uh, and it was easy for me to, to just watch. But man, all right. Mm. I <laughs> Here we go. All right, I first saw Donnie Darko when I was like 12, 13 years old. It's probably yeah, like 2001. Two, well, it was probably like yeah. 2002, 2003 area. Mm. I was home from school, I think. It wasn't something that someone told me about. I just saw it on TV early in the morning, turned on TV, and that shit was on on some channel. <laughs> and I just. In the morning. In the morning, yeah. <laughs> and I like lost my shit watching it. Like it was like, you know. It yeah. blew my fucking little stupid prepubescent mind. Uh, <laughs> perfect. It's a perfect movie for teenagers, man. Yeah. I'm the best with this shit in high school. Yeah. You try and like, you you watch it over and over again. You try and figure it out. Mm. And I grew to like, yeah, it was one of my favorite films. I grew to love it. I had it on DVD and I was like really into it. And uh, I found some friends and stuff when I got into like punk rock and music and um, you know, skateboarding and all that stuff. Some friends who were like into it as well. So we would watch it and stuff and we yeah, really hyped for it. And then 2004 comes around and uh, the cult status oh, no. was brewing. The cult status was brewing for yeah. Donnie Darko. And um, Richard Kelly realized that like his film was really popular and he decided to like, oh, I should, I should like do, Leave it alone. do a director's <laughs> cut of this. And that <laughs> DVD came out and it like, it was the first time I was like able to kind of realize that uh, some things are like better left alone. Like, don't fucking touch them. I mean, of course, she could have said Star Wars and all that sort of stuff. But like, as yeah, you've heard yeah. these episodes, I never really like was like too bothered by because I didn't like I didn't I never really became like the the fiend. I wasn't a Star Wars fiend as a little kid. Yeah, so it didn't matter when they got changed. Yeah, yeah, and um. You know, but this was like this was like this was like a weird one because, like you said, it was like a formative. It's, film when it's like one of those things where you like exactly. feel you feel like sort of connection to like a story about like a weird young kid who just doesn't fit in properly, and he's like you know exactly. all, the, all the strangeness around it and stuff. And um, so yeah, like to see it just sort of like you know be butchered that way. <laughs> the person who created it which in some respects you feel like i feel like sometimes i'm like man like i shouldn't care so much about this because like he's the fucking he's the fucking creator of this and um you know he he's he's the one who you know who created it's his baby he should be allowed to like you know do whatever he wants to with it and i'm all for that but at the same time it's just like What did he do to my boy? Like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> look how they massacred oh, my boy. It's so bad. I mean, it's like, it's weird to realize that the director is wrong. Mm. I don't mind the director's cut. I'm not gonna sit here and shit on it. It's different. 
different. It's a little longer. Too long. A little more explanation than maybe you need. Too explanatory. Yeah, and I don't know. The music, you know, don't, whatever. Don't, don't, don't. Don't. Some of the that's the different. thing about Donnie Darko yeah. is like a fucking fun, stylish little film. It's kind of silly and yeah. makes people like you're watching and you're just kind of like, oh, like, you know, this is kind of a trip. What's this all about and stuff? And um, yeah, yeah. people people start doing messing with all the things time. that are kind of fun about it. And they like take music bits out and over explain things mm. and, and try to like basically paint it for you because I don't know. I'm just, I've said this quite a few times on this podcast. If you listen to this, you probably heard me call Richard Kelly a hack before. You, you've probably heard it before. You've done it on multiple I, episodes and multiple shows. <laughs> and I, I just think there's a history of it. And, and the thing is, I was reluctant to do too much research about this film because I feel like the more you look into Donnie Darko, the worse this fucking movie gets. <laughs> this man. I don't think he knows what he was doing. And that's okay. I think he threw a bunch of shit into the air. Yeah, he was making it. fucking spaghetti and he like <laughs> threw it all against the wall. And every single fucking noodle stuck to that <laughs> wall. And he, he just created like this crazy movie that somehow just works and it has no fucking right to work. Uh he, yeah. he thought he was making like some crazy ass David Lynch film or something. And it just like mm. It like and if I don't know, it's like David Lynch for preteens or something. I don't know. It's but it's still in rewatch. I rewatched it the other night and I had a, I had a blast watching it. To be honest, it's still really funny. There's there still go. a lot of things that are really funny about it. Um, I think like I don't get Richard Kelly. I don't get people who who like uh, take up for like Southland Tells and if anybody takes up for the box, I don't know. I know people like. <laughs> People say that Southland Tales deserves like, you know, some reassessment and stuff. And maybe I should go down that road again. But I'm reluctant to do so because like I've seen it before and I didn't enjoy it when I watched it. And I was just like, oh, this is the same guy who brought Donnie Darko. What the fuck was that? Like, this is horrible <laughs> in the box. Like, this I just didn't even bother. I was just like, no, thanks. So I don't know where I sit on Donnie Darko anymore, but I did have a fun time watching it. I think the thing is you need to like, for me, it's just like, uh, bang my head against the wall and just like <laughs> completely forget about anything else. Um, you know, and then just kind of put it on and just like, don't think about like director's cuts or it, yeah. what any of it actually, <laughs> what like, he did after. Yeah. Or what he did during the making of it or any of the stupid shit around it or why any of it even matters or makes sense or doesn't make sense or whatever. Because at the end of the day, it is kind of cool. Like, it looks cool. It's kind of funny. Jake Gyllenhaal mm. is awesome in it. Uh, the music is, like, hot, hot soundtrack, man. It's fucking good soundtrack. The original score is really good as well. Yeah, yeah, really. And I mean, but it starts with Killing Moon. <laughs> and it's, like, that's one of the best needle drops yeah. in any movie. It's... Uh, and that's not in the director's cut. <laughs> why? It gets <laughs> like, moved. Why? It is in the director's cut, but it gets <laughs> moved to, to like later. It gets moved to the party, and it gets, right? Like, yeah. you, but you can barely hear. Or like in a car, like when they're like, traveling why? in a car at some point. It's just like why? Uh, like why <laughs> like in excess? It, just, it, it doesn't make you sense. Off on the wrong foot. Like we're, like 1996. Cool in excess. Put them in. Fucking Batman for yeah. <laughs> Cool. Go for it. 
I'm down, but we're 2001 now. Move on. And we know how different those years are. <laughs> yeah, it always comes back to 96 and 2001. Uh, it's just that thing he had it in his head, right? He's like, he was probably writing it and he was like, I want to start with this song. And yeah. He couldn't get it. And then he got a better song and didn't realize mm. it. And so when it came to like, all right, well, let me do my own version of it. I'm going to change this thing because I thought this is how I always thought it should be, even if it's worse. Yeah. Like, I feel like I should be able to present it this way, even if nobody wants it and nobody cares. Did he have anything to do with the sequel? No, nothing to do with S the sequel. Darko. And, okay, and I'll go ahead and preface this. Which is like, what about it? Yeah. I, you like that movie, don't you? I, Son of a bitch. No, I didn't even watch it. I avoided it. Okay, good. Never seen That's, it. Feels like something no, you would say. I have no, uh, <laughs> I have, <laughs> have no opinion on it, but besides the fact that I was never interested in watching it because I heard it was you bad. You don't need a sequel. And I was just like, it didn't need yeah. to happen. Okay, I'll I'll also say this is like you know, I'm sure Richard Kelly's a really nice and a nice guy. Um, and I can, and I'm sure he's listening. And I, yeah, I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> I'm sure people like really do like him and appreciate his work and stuff. And that's cool. Cause Donnie Darko is a really cool, fun idea. Um, and I'll preface this by saying that, um, I'm a hack, so I know what hacks look like. Um, I'm <laughs> from one here, hack to another. I'm sitting here on a fucking <laughs> podcast with doing nothing with my life. Um, and, um, just talking about how a guy who actually made it, three fucking films but one in particular that has a cult fucking following is a hack but i just feel like there's yes. a reason and a reasoning to my uh to my my the 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 madness that's going on to in the my, madness. my mind when i think about this movie and when i had to do research for it i should have never done the research i should have left it alone we should have not done this episode i ruined it but now i've got to because if i don't if i don't go into this um then you know it it doesn't really matter, but it's all right. It's just going to sit in your brain and fester. <laughs> Donnie Darko originated in late 1997 when Richard Kelly graduated from USC School of Cinematic Arts in Los Angeles. While working as an assistant as a, at a post-production house, he decided it was time for him to write his first feature-length script. Though the thought of it actually frightened Richard Kelly as he worried about producing something of poor quality. One point towards my theory that Richard Kelly is a hack. He's already worrying about it. It comes up a lot. Okay. So I hope you count these down. Richard Kelly spent the next year dicking around until he finally started. Uh, I'm assuming he was dicking around. I don't know what he's doing. He spent a whole year. He didn't really start writing Donnie Darko until October of 1998. I'm saying the idea originated in 97 that he should write a script. He didn't even start until October mm. of 1998. Another point hack. Because that's how I operate. I push it off forever. <laughs> Two point hack. Yeah, me too. Kelly set out to write something ambitious, personal, and nostalgic set in the end of the Reagan era of the late 80s that pushed the envelope by combining science fiction with the coming of age tell. He started the script out with the idea of a mysterious airplane engine crashing into a suburban home and worked his way from there. After being inspired by an urban legend about a piece of ice falling from the wing of a plane and crashing into a boy's room who survived because he wasn't home. And it's just like, fuck so deep, man. It's like, dude, like what if Donnie was, was like there, like he survived because like, 
But then he, he, he wasn't he home. Wasn't there? He wasn't home. So he survived. But like, but, what, then, but what if he was like there? But at home, what had happened? <sighs> the whole arc is like him not being in his room and then him <laughs> being in his room. Yeah. <laughs> so no connection to the bunny man of Virginia. Uh, the bunny no, man bridge. apparently not. But like, uh, what the fuck? hey, there's a, there's a thing about a kind of full of bunny shit. man. Um, so I'm I'm kind of confused because he apparently I'll get to that later about where he got the idea for Frank and stuff, but it has nothing to do with the the Bunny Man urban legend. He's more concerned uh, about which the, we discussed in detail. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's more interested in the urban legend about a plane engine. Um, but okay, he was told that this was kind of a stupid idea because planes like like parts of planes don't fall. <laughs> Someone said that like a part of a plane doesn't fall off of like a plane or like, you know, planes just don't drop pieces of their, their engines and shit out of the sky. Um, but then like, apparently a piece of an engine actually did fall onto a beach or something. And he was just like, ha, Holy who's shit. the heck now? Oh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said hack. <laughs> that guy did. <laughs> so Kelly got ideas for Donnie's experiences of, Paranoid schizophrenia from researching online. Hack. Uh, he considered some. <laughs> considered such a. He considered a really broad disorder that was difficult to define, and uh, he thought it was a great way to ground a supernatural story with it using like scientific sense and blah blah blah. I don't know. Blah blah blah. Science. Yeah. But there is some autobiographical elements to the film, like as the film is set in Middlesex, Virginia. Uh, Richard Kelly was from a Richmond, Virginia suburb town called Midlothian, uh, where he had his own grandma death, who spent all day walking across the road, opening and closing her mailbox. <laughs> That's really upsetting. Yeah. I mean, we all had that, really. If we think about it, we all had our own grandma death. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I had a grandma who like wouldn't come out of her house. That kind of, I had a grandma who died. Yeah. Oh, she died as well. Yeah. That's kind of close. Sorry. But she never wrote about like time travel or anything. Yeah. I think I would have respected my grandma a little bit more if she wrote about time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day we'll find something in the attic. <laughs> What's your take on grandma death? Do you enjoy the... the Because the, <laughs> like... The, like that's the thing I can't think about this film too much because I'm gonna just be like, it, none of Hack. none of it matters. <laughs> matter none of this fucking matters. Grandma death. I like the character. Yeah, I think that's something I really like weirdly it. relatable about it, about a character like that because yeah. no matter I think every, no matter where you grow up, there's people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have it so much here, but I had it in Portugal a little bit where because it was such a small isolated like town my family was from. There's lots of talk of urban legends yeah. and um, witches and shit like that. And it, it, there was always stuff like that person at the end of the road fucking crazy. Yeah. And it was just old. It's just the thing <laughs> of like kid fear of death in general. Yeah. Or anything old. It's like the fan lot, right? It's like you've demonized the thing. Yeah. But there's also something really sad about grandma death and that she's a real person who had lost her mind essentially. Mm. She, like, she needs help. She needs like actual support and needs to be like treated and it was someone who just on the fringes that completely lost and it feels like something that could happen to donnie if you know 
Uh, I mean, something else happened to Donnie, so it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> but there's something to this movie. Again, I don't want to go too much into it because I don't think there's that much there, but it has an interesting conversation about a lot of things. Yeah. And one thing is mental illness and how it's perceived, how it's represented, and how it's dealt with. I, d- I, d- I find that an interesting sort of take, though, because like I'd like to think that there was more like deep elements to this film about like you know the way we look at mental illness or the elderly or yeah all that sort of stuff but at the end of the day i kind of got that feeling that it's just like yeah but wouldn't it be cool if like he's like things came out of people's chest <laughs> it's just like there's no substance to this movie at all i think that's um, one of the funniest things about this film is the fact that like people spent so much time looking for substance to it or like looking yeah yeah over over analyzing it and then um at the end of the day it's kind of like it wasn't really there you know it's kind of like th- a gym. no i don't I, the greatest chip in the 21st no. century <laughs> oh, i wouldn't joking. go that far i think that i think there's stuff there but i think yeah people like i remember i remember like me and my friend Seb were like fucking obsessed with donnie darko we talk about it all the time and we were always like, this movie isn't that deep. I don't know what, like, and these two people who like it, but we're like, I know what happens. I can tell you what the story, like, I can understand it and I know what it's trying to say. And it's a fun ride. But people people act like it's fucking Inception. Even Inception <laughs> isn't hard to understand. They spend half the movie telling you what fucking happening. Yeah. It's like that. And people just get so hung up on this bit and it doesn't really matter. Like the film is just told in a very unorthodox way. And it is very abstract, the theme, but like, I like it because it's first conversation. Like last time me and Dusty watched it, it was like, you know, we started talking about the whole film dealt with like fate and free will. And like, that's, I, I like that even if the effects are so janky, but like the weird worm that like comes out of people's yeah, chest. Yeah. It's, it's a really good portrayal of that. It's like, are they following a path or are they setting a path? Mm-hmm. And it's like that spurred its own conversation. So I think, and it's like one of those things where it's like, it asks a lot of questions, doesn't provide any answers for them. (laughs) So it doesn't require that much conversation. I think that can be really fucking annoying with a movie like this, that it's just kind of cool. And it can, it can get away with just sort of like, it's a bit stylish, it's a bit out there, but it's not fucking, yeah, saying anything too deep about the human condition here. (laughs) It's just sort of like, it's like a lot of cool imagery, a lot of cool music, a lot of great acting, a lot of fucking weird moments. Dark. It's yeah. like that dark, like good level of dark, again, for a teenager, as you're getting into more adult films. I can see the comparison with Lynch, where it has this, like, this, like, it's got this, it's like a small America underbelly thing, right? Like, there's always darkness underlying the ideal, Amer- like, suburb suburban mm-hmm. life there's always something behind it people aren't happy people are, you know have severe problems but it's presented as like the ideal life so there's something lynchian about that but it's also complete lynchian is like it's so like why are people so fucked up and things are weird but it's just because people are weird yeah and they do weird things where donnie darko is like no but weird things are happening there's a weird, there's a guy in a bunny costume <laughs> following me, yeah. telling me to burn stuff. It's like Ralph Wiggum, essentially, from the <laughs> It's a dang it's a dangerous sort of like 
road to go down Richard Kelly making a film like this with so many like questions and then he like mm-hmm. he would have like I seriously think he would have been better off if he had never attempted to answer them like if that director's cut had never yeah. happened like he would have been so much better off or if he like never made another movie yeah because like <laughs> one and done it'd be like, be like oh, what? people would be like what like they'd be like I mean it, you know we might still have a similar sort of conversation that it's sort of like oh well that was like that was trippy when I was like 13 but now that I'm watching it now I just see it as kind of a fun like sort of comedy movie um, set yeah, to yeah, weird yeah. sci-fi because there's a lot of funny bits in it and it's like it it does have that sort of like glance at like post Reagan like yuppie parents and stuff I'm sure Richard Kelly probably had like similar sort of parents and stuff to like Donnie's parents and and it's just that sort of upbringing and all that but I I think we're asking we'd be asking too much to actually be able to find more from this story Uh, keep going okay so Richard Kelly finished the script in 28 days which is the exact the same amount of time covered in the film uh, and he wrote it in October, uh, which inspired the time of the year that the film was set. Uh, the first draft was around 145 pages. His producing partner, who produced the film with him, Sean McKittrick, who has actually gone on to produce some pretty badass stuff with Blumhouse. So he's he's helped produce Get Out, Black Klansman, Us. Oh, cool. Um, recalled, <laughs> he recalled he had never seen anything like this before, and he helped refine the script while making the story understandable enough. See, this keeps happening. And that's, I think that's the glaring issue here. Other people have had to come in and fix it. Yes. After pitching the script around to producers, Kelly and McKittrick uh, found a lot of interest with McKittrick saying Donnie Darko was the challenging script in town that everybody wanted to make, but was too afraid. One thing that actually kind of worked against them was that they were insistent that Richard Kelly directed the film and he was like a nobody. So he's this young hotshot kid mm-hmm. with this hot script that everyone's kind of like unsure about, even though they're interested in it, but they're unsure about that. But they're kind of interested in, and he wants to direct and they're like, yeah. come on, get out of here. Um, come on kid. Yeah. Kelly recalled that in 1999 being a year of meeting after meeting only to be rejected. And he basically declared the film dead at this point, but he did luck out when he signed with Creative Artists Agency and they took an interest in the script, leading to meetings with the likes of Francis Ford Coppola and Ben Stiller and William Horberg and <sighs> Betty Thomas. My God, imagine Ben Stiller directing this. <laughs> <laughs> They're the cable guy version of this, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it could be pretty interesting, to be honest. The film got a little more real as well when Coppola's nephew, Jason Schwartzman, read the script and he was interested in playing Donnie. Could you imagine that? Young Jason oh, Schwartzman. Like Rushmore fresh era, off of Rushmore. I could be good. I could see it. I love I love Jason Schwartzman. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, yeah, I don't but, think, in retrospect, I don't know if anyone could have done it as well as Jake Gyllenhaal. Just like something about the way he portrayed the film, like mm. portrayed Donnie in this film that like, it's just like fucking perfect, but it'd be mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see Jason Schwartzman like what he do yeah. do with the role. They still didn't have a producer, and finally, while on the set of Charlie's Angels, Drew Barrymore uh, and her producing <laughs> partner Nancy Juvenin agreed to meet with Richard Kelly and suggested their company Flower Films 
fund the production with a budget of $4.5 million, which also led to Barry oh, so cool. playing Pomeroy. So yeah, that's kind of how that all worked so out. So it came to life because of yeah. Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, yeah. And she's great in that movie. Yeah, Kelly said it legitimized him as a director. She basically saved the film by like just believing in it and funding it. And yeah, I love shit like that. It's like Danny DeVito, like uh, getting like pop fiction made. Yeah. Like you don't re- like stuff like that. You don't realize there are all these connections. It's really cool. Yeah. So of course, Jake Gyllenhaal played Donnie Darko, but by the time pre-production got going, Jason Schwartzman, who was interested in the film, he withdrew his interest due to scheduling conflicts. So this led to meetings with the likes of Patrick Fugit, who had just done almost, almost famous could have been interesting, but oh yeah, don't know. And then Lucas yeah. black <laughs> was best known like for sling blade at that point. And then he had just done all the pretty horses. This was pre Tokyo drift. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. still, could you imagine like a redneck Lucas Black playing this role? It's like, first Tony of all, Darko? Papa Smurf didn't create the Smurf Fets. Gargamel did. Gargamel did. She was sent in as Gargamel's evil spy with the intention of destroying the Smurf <laughs> village. But the overwhelming goodness of the Smurf way of life transformed her. And as for the whole gangbang scenario, it just couldn't happen. Smurfs are asexual. They they don't even have reproductive <laughs> organs under those little white pants. And then and that's just what's so illogical, you know, about being a Smurf. I quite like that. What's the point of living <laughs> if you don't have a dick? <laughs> I like it. I, I'm down I've, for I want to see that version. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're the fucking Antichrist. <laughs> 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 it's not that simple Tell between me, love and How hate. How does one suck a fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't just divide everything into two feelings and disregard the rest. <laughs> kind of like a farmer on like a kid's show, you know? Yeah. Well, howdy, partner. We're still not to Jake Gyllenhaal yet. I wish we were, but we somehow aren't. <laughs> And my hack alert is going off again because for some reason, Richard Kelly, hack apparently alert. hack alert. He apparently was really interested in getting a, at the time, 31 year old Vince Vaughn to play the role. Of Donnie <laughs> Darko. But Vince Vaughn, thankfully was uncomfortable mm. in playing a 16 year old. Yeah. That's about right. What he always looks for it. Were they so thinking? <laughs> yeah. That would never have worked. Wait, that would have ruined your movie. (laughs) Two years later, they had that fucking movie old school and he looked like 50 in that film. And he's like, just rolling around (laughs) with his beer belly and just like, you know, just like, oh, I'm a dad. Like, could you imagine him playing Donnie Darko (laughs) two years before? This moody teenager. (laughs) Uh, With like a five o'clock shadow. (laughs) Speaking of someone else who is too damn old for the role, Mark Wahlberg was offered the part. Oh, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Monkey Mark, the funky bird. But. They had your mother for me, all right? He would only do the role. If he could do a topless. No, if he could do Donnie with a lisp. That's what I read. <laughs> and I don't know why. Why? The Smurf. Why? The Smurf. Why? That's the why? thing with Smurf. <laughs> thing with the Smurf. <laughs> the asexual. This makes no sense. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, though, I shouldn't you know have what? done he had a this. Vision? The more I look into this shit, the, 
fucking less it makes sense. This is so stupid. Why? Why Vince Vaughn? Why Mark Wahlberg? Dude, you know what the next level for this movie would have been? <laughs> is you cast all four of these people. You cast Vince Vaughn, <laughs> Jason Schwartzman, Marky Mark, and Jake Gyllenhaal, and it changes scene to scene. And you never explain why. This is like the Imaginarium of Dr. Dr. Parnassus. <laughs> exactly. It's like a locked highway thing where there's like a metamorphosis yeah. thing going on. But like yeah. no one ever really had that. That's the next that level. That's like, sense. what the fuck is happening in this movie? <laughs> and they all play it differently. He's, he's a 30-year-old man. He's a kid of the list. You know? And it's like, who's the real Donnie? Mark Wahlberg's 48 now, so he would have been like 28 at the time. So it's just like... Still too he old. was too old. Uh, Alright, so thankfully Jake Gyllenhaal came across the script while auditioning Thank for roles God. in Los Angeles and he was mesmerized by it. Uh, Kelly worked with Gyllenhaal to amend parts of his dialogue. Again. Why? <laughs> so Gyllenhaal like rewrote the... Yeah. With Jake given yeah. a lot of room to incorporate his own ideas, including things like making a childish voice talking to Frank as sort of a source of comfort to Donnie, like a child talking to a stuffed toy or a blanket or something. So that was Jake oh, Gyllenhaal's yeah. idea. If anything, That's I just feel idea. like all the people around here were like involved in helping make this film work a little bit more than it would have. Yeah, yeah. And... I mean, because the cast is fucking stupid. And it was also Jake Gyllenhaal who came up with the idea to cast his real-life sister, Maggie, as Elizabeth Darko. Who's also great. She's so yeah, good in this they film They obviously well. have great chemistry. Yeah. Like, they play off each other so well. And it's natural. Oh, it's God. <laughs> More shit that I, I forgot I found last night, and I don't know how real this is, because I've read in one source that it was Jake Gyllenhaal who, who like suggested his real life sister because they would have the chemistry there and stuff. Who better to have like fucking mm. arguments at the dinner table with? And it was great, great idea. Exactly. Um, but I read this. Holy when casting for the role of Donnie's sister, it came to writer and director Richard Kelly's attention that Maggie Gyllenhaal, who had few film credits at the time, would be available for the shoot. The agent who proposed her her casting reminded Kelly of this her scene in Cecil B. Demented from the year prior by our good boy John Waters, where she drank mm. urine. Though Kelly was slightly hesitant towards the idea, he did like the way she drank urine and knew he wouldn't have to work hard at creating sibling rivalry between her and her brother Jake. What? What does that mean? What? That's a weird thing to say. I don't know, man. I'm getting all Kelly vibes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's real. <gasps> I like the way she tricked that. Piss. I don't know if that's real because, like, I found that via IMDb, and I like, like I said, that I question make these any things sense. sometimes. It makes no sense. But why is that there? IMDb needs to get itself sorted. You know, and they need to figure out their priorities. Yeah. Because have you ever checked like IMDb's like uh, plot keywords? They're really fucked up, man. Anytime I saw, I saw anytime there's like a woman fucking naked or something, there's this like plot keywords like nudity. One of two people found this fucking interesting or helpful. And it's like, why? Like, what are you looking for? How does that end up there? Who's inputting these? (laughs) It's so gross. Messed up. They know what people want on the internet. So messed up. Um, all right. So Donnie's parents are played by Holmes Osborne, who is Mr. Patterson. In that thing you do, Guy Patterson's father, which is great. Yeah. And yeah. 
Mary McDonnell, who is known for being like in Dances with Wolves and Independence Day, as Eddie and Rose Darko. And his younger sister is Debbie Chase, who is uh, Samantha, a.k.a. S. Darko. There she is. I question your commitment to Michael Motion. A fucking line. That's one easily one of the best lines in the entire film. Parents, yeah. parents are really fun. I mean, I, I, th- I think they both do a great job. Um, I would say Debbie Chase is like, this, it's like her third role or something, and she's like, she doesn't do much, but she, you know, the sparkle motion dance scene is really fun and stuff. I'm sure that was like difficult to choreograph and all that. Debbie Chase, man. She's had a nice little career. She she voiced Lilo and Lilo and Stitch, and she played Samara in the uh, oh, in the I ring. Didn't know that. Did you know that she was Samara? Oh, yeah. really? In the American one? Yeah, yeah. And she's reappeared in any time they brought her back or whatever. But for some reason, she decided to actually take the sequel S. Darko, and I'm really questioning like her agents and her parents and stuff why they fucking do that. But whatever, money talks. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Donnie's Donnie's family. They're all fun. They're all fun. Good good casting. They're all great. The mother had one of my favorite bits. Um just at the end. Just like the wave. Yeah. You know, it's like one of my yeah. favorite bits. And it's just such a small moment and the move they're just full of small moments like that. Yeah, they're perfect. Donnie's love interest in the film is Jenna Malone as Gretchen Ross. Jenna Malone. I like Jenna Malone, man. She's like She's so I cool. don't understand how her amazing. career isn't bigger. Like she was in so many great films back yeah, in the day. Yeah, she popped up in things. She was in Inherent yeah. Vice. She was in like Sucker Punch. Mm-hmm. Like a few things, but yeah. Yeah. I'm always like, oh shit, got some Dusty Duck. Yeah, I always just thought she would have a much bigger career because it kind of felt like she was on that trajectory, but like just never really like pushed through into bigger mainstream roles. She just kind of has this nice like independent film role career which is cool i mean you know it's maybe probably like a little more sane sanity involved in that but uh, <laughs> anyway i really like jenna malone um she's great in this film as well yeah. apparently she couldn't say uh you, you know the like when donnie has to correct her on like professor monotov's name like she like says it wrong mm-hmm. Apparently, like that was just like left in the film because she just couldn't say the name. That was real. <laughs> That's funny. Drew Barrymore plays Karen Pomeroy, as we mentioned earlier, producer of the film as well. Also, really great in this film. Mm-hmm. She has like a lot of like these moments of broodiness, which is just really funny because I guess everyone's sort of bro- <laughs> like brooding and just like brooding and this. just like. But yeah, she's, she's nobody great. wants to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like her and the other teacher they seem to be the only like sane yeah. sort of people and they realize that they're like the only sane adult in this fucking town yeah uh, and that other teacher is Noah Weil who plays Professor Kenneth Monatoff who basically is just like this mm-hmm. what is he like a physics teacher or something who talks to Donnie about time travel yeah. and he's he's like I can't talk to you about this yeah, anymore yeah he's too scared to like get into religion <laughs> Uh, he's basically like, too, it feels yeah. like he's too scared to, get fired, to yeah. tell Donnie that religion is fucking stupid. That's kind of like, that's kind of like where he's on the verge of. He's like, they go to a, like a Catholic high school yeah. or whatever. You don't believe it. Uh, you don't believe in God, do you? Well, I can't, sorry, I can't go too far. I can't, I've overstepped my boundaries here. <laughs> so on the I've verge. gone too far. Everything you've heard is wrong. <laughs> Would you buy theories of time travel from your stupid like 
physics professor at your local high school because they are the number one peddlers of like bullshit like time travel and like the stranger thing dude <laughs> stranger things again <laughs> that stupid teacher who's like yeah. fucking like done the stupid like i have to explain it for regular dumb dumb yeah. out there it's like if you fold the paper in half and you put a pencil through it it's like that <laughs> you know it's like someone said something smart yeah. on star trek and then they're like so it's like if you fill a balloon with too much air it pops it's like you don't have to talk to people like that yeah Sorry, what did you ask me? I mean, yes, they me, are peddling the bullshit because they have too much time thinking about their own yeah. theories. I mean, I once had a chemistry teacher who was trying to convince us that he knew how to make LSD, but then he would like quickly change the subject anytime someone would ask him about Why it. Why would you say that? Like, oh, we can't talk about this. Like, not in school. And he's like, you brought it up. <laughs> how much you tell him for you it? You wanted us to know. Yeah, seriously, it's like he, he's like selling it on the side or something. He's just trying to catch to see who's yeah. cool. Five bucks a tab, cool? lunchtime. Cool? I mean, you whatever. cool? <laughs> yeah. You cool? Bro, you cool? Take it here. So I know you're cool. Oh, man. <laughs> just turn, turn in the, the teacher parking lot into a fucking Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's selling like beads and tie dye shirt. Got a bandana oh, on. Oh, man. So he knows he's like, business mode <laughs> we had uh patience cleveland is uh roberto sparrow grandma death we already kind of talked about grandma death a bit mm. um funny i mean to be honest yeah. i still think i i think some of the shit that you might have laughed at when you were younger isn't as funny anymore when you're like an adult but um i still definitely love the scene where the boys are watching <laughs> roberto sparrow go back and forth to her her mailbox and they start to sort of like commentate mm. and just like whoa 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 here we go here here we go we we may have mail oh. we may have mail oh mail oh. <laughs> nope no not this time oh, somebody should really write that bitch she's <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> such a good line <laughs> one of the stars i think the highlights of the film is fucking beth grant is kitty farmer mrs farmer the gym yeah. coach Sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Holy shit. Like, she is so fucking good at playing horrible people. She's so She's fucking so annoying. Good. She plays the same character in everything. And she's good at it. She's so good at fuck, it. Fuck. It, it's too good. It's like Speed and Friend. Yeah. Always the same. She plays Miss Kettlewell in uh, Child's Play 2 as Andy's like shitty teacher that Chucky kills. <laughs> with the fucking basketball pump and a fucking like yardstick it's like what the fuck um carla jean's mother in no country for old men she just has like a history of playing (laughs) these crazy characters so funny i just think yeah those sometimes i doubt your commitment to sparkle motion is like like a beautiful line i don't know why like fuck cellar door. Yeah, fuck the I'm... pondering of cellar door being like the most beautiful word. Like Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. I mean that's a meme now. Like it's... that's yeah. iconic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> iconic. It's one of those lines that keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> it's very quotable this movie, yeah. but it's not the line that are like meant to be meaningful. Yeah. It's all the throw. Yeah, seriously. That's I think that's, that's the, the magic of this movie. Like shit. It's not about any... That's what keeps it drunk yeah, together. It's not about any of the like... Like, I think Richard Kelly should just make fun 
weird comedies. I think he is funny. Like he writes really mm. good lines and yeah. like, uh, I don't know how much that yeah, was yeah. influence of other people kind of like helping out a little bit or actors sort of like crafting the story around, but he like creates a really funny sort of dynamic. And like, for instance, like when filming the scene with, you know, Mrs. Farmer basically talking about how Donnie directed her to put the life on, lifeline exercises up her like anus, <laughs> like, Apparently yeah. Richard Kelly was and they thought to yeah, laugh. Richard Kelly started laughing so hard <laughs> that he had to leave set. Like he was laughing. So I mean it is fucking funny. And then like even more It's a funny movie, like, man. Let it be funny. The, the 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 like one of the other funniest like and it's not it's 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 a weird it's a weird, uncomfortable funny after a while because I always kind of forget where it turns, but it's like it's so fitting is that like the man that Mrs. Farmer is so obsessed with to a point where she would like go to bat for him even after he's been outed as a pedophile is uh Patrick Swayze playing Jim Cunningham this fucking piece of shit fear Ugh. love it's so fucking funny. I fucking but I fucking love Patrick Swayze in this yeah. movie like I'm a Swayze kid he's so good Swayze in this movie. my parents were obsessed <laughs> with Patrick Swayze he was so good this should have been I've heard people say it uh play the sentiment but this should have been his pulp fiction it should have been like a comeback like travolta yeah. had with pulp fiction and it was a role i doubt many people wanted to take that's a fucking ricky role yeah you don't want to take for that someone like patrick Dwayne, who was a heartthrob yeah. and he was fucking cool enough and brave enough and good enough to do it and pull it off and it's a hard bit to pull off <laughs> to even gain some sort of sympathy out of me by the end as well because he's a piece of shit you know, he's like a filthy con man and he obviously got a lot of fucking skeletons in the closet. But by the end, where they do that beautiful fucking pan shot over Mad World and make fun of that what you want, it's a fucking great shot. It's him crying in bed, like this horrible self-loathing that you only see for a second. That's fucking yeah. Patrick Swayze, man. That's just him I'm glad you pulling brought that up because I kind of forgot about it. I, we'll get into like the soundtrack and stuff, and I think that's where we can talk about like Mad World a little bit. But I do want to say that... You got to talk about Mad I World. I do want to say that uh, <laughs> I, as I was watching the film the other night, like I, I just had that thought during the Mad World scene with Patrick Swayze sitting there crying, and I was just like, but if Donnie fucking kills himself, then that fucking pederast is still alive out caught. there and he's still, he's not going to get caught. And he's still like, so Donnie actually didn't save anyone. He saved a lot of people. He, he might've, he doesn't save that. He, didn't, uh, he, he, he saved, but that's the point. No, but that's the point. He you saved can't everyone. save everybody. Good and bad. But he does. He even saved fucking Patrick Swayze and Swayze's living in his own fucking nightmare. Right. He'll eventually get caught. That's how I always see it. And he, you know, very it's not like he's fucking cool about what he's yeah. doing but everyone gets saved it's like a clean slate it's like that's it i don't that's know just man. path right it's better that's it's better the thing that though that's the trouble. whole point like, <laughs> yeah for sure they should have burned his fucking house down but someone would have done it patrick swayze wore his own clothes from the 1980s in the film and he also <laughs> excellent. They, they shot uh, Jim Cunningham's like cunning visions infomercials. They like shot them at his ranch yeah. in Calabasas, California, which is great. That's so funny. The, the whole cunning visions videos. and attitudinal beliefs, which are that's what I'm saying. Like fucking Richard Kelly's funny. Attitudinal it's beliefs. It's funny. Like that's so fucking funny. That whole 
side story is funny. And the fact that like it turned out yeah. like And Donnie going off at him. Yeah. That Donnie was right that he was a piece of shit and he was more than just like this con artist. Yeah, was a those people are full of shit. Pedophile and like the f- and it's just like it's very real as well for me to like see characters like this from a very close area, like very close to where I'm from, like mm. five hours, you know, from where I'm from, to see like a woman who's like this crazy teacher is obsessed with this sort of thing, who like is willing to stake her whole entire like reputation on defending his innocence when like there's supposed mm. proof to him. <laughs> and it's like, Oh yeah, that's very, and it's like fucking relatable. Hard isn't it? Core man. Like, especially when you got things like QAnon and also like just Trump, like people like Trump supporter. Yeah. It's, it's the crazy, same man. mentality, man. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And shit doesn't change. There's so much layers to like Jim Cunningham that I'd never noticed before, but I was when I was doing research last night, someone says that you can actually see in one of those videos that he like grabs a kid's butt in one of the videos. Like well, so it's I'm, like right there I mean, in your him fucking the face. Yeah. It's right in your face. It's right in your face. It's like flaunting it. Fucked up. I, I did find this kind of funny though. There so all right, you know the kid and it's really funny. That in the video, I'm not afraid anymore. Like the kid who like pisses his yeah, head. so funny. <laughs> that kid, That's so funny. That kid was one of the kids who like turned up on stage, like the little kid who was talking about getting beat up by bully, bullies and stuff. And Donnie tells him that he should take a karate lesson. That's the same kid. So fucking yeah. Jim Cunningham's putting Isn't fucking he? plants out into the crowd, He's full of shit, to get them to come up and say stuff. Oh. Uh... I never noticed it's that. It's crazy. Yeah, and Donnie's right. Yeah, take a cry <laughs> and kick him in the nuts. <laughs> He's fucking right. He's giving real advice. I love that scene. I would that scene. <laughs> so funny. Speaking of the kids, yeah. you know, the kid in the video and uh, the kids who come up on stage, let's get mm. into some of these like lesser characters as we're rounding out the cast. Because there's a lot of weird cameos. Yeah. All right, I'll start off with the... Yeah, that's one big two, one. The two kids... Who come on stage alongside the the ad, attitudinal beliefs kid? Fucking hell, it's crazy. Ashley Tisdell of Sweet Life of Zach and Cody fame, and Disney Kid, High School Musical, Disney Kid. She's the girl with the crazy yeah. sort of curly hair who comes on stage and wants to. Yeah, was yeah. she like calling out her sister for being fat or something? Which is kind of fucked up. <laughs> and then the boy. What was the what was the older lanky kid? What was what was he all about? What did he come on stage for? Oh man, I don't. Remember. I don't even remember. But anyway, that's Jerry Trainer yeah. who played Crazy Steve on Drake and Josh, and also Spencer and iCarly. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Jesus, mad cameo everywhere. All right, here we go. We're getting into like I think one of your your big cameo. Um, all right, so we have the two bullies. Yeah, the two man. like sort of crazy yeah. bullies, like particularly one, just Alex awful, Greenwald, awful bully plays plays Seth, who is the uh, the creepy, crazy, crazy fucking bully. Alex Greenwald is yeah. from with the fucking mullet. Yeah, <laughs> his mullet with spiky hair. Alex Greenwald is Damn. from Phantom Planet, the band. Funny enough that was started with Jason Schwartzman, who could have been Donnie Darko. Um, and they wrote California, the, the theme song from the OC, basically. Interesting. <laughs> Do the panic. Oh, shit. No fucking way. No fucking way. 
California. Everybody fucking knows <laughs> his stupid pal Ricky is uh Seth Rogen in his very first film role. Fucking Seth Rogen comes out of nowhere. What a great first film. Amazing. Him still getting his fucking stupid laugh in from his first film role, getting that fucking <laughs> laugh in. I like yeah. your boobs. <laughs> got that fucking butt cut. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost not believable. Yeah. It's not like I forgot nothing on he him. was in it. He's good in yeah. the movie, but yeah, he's good in it. But it's like I can't buy him as this dude when I've seen <laughs> yeah. not like him. I can't buy him as this kid. Yeah, he feels like he should be one of Donnie's yeah, it just stupid, like, work. stupid friends or something. You know, friends like, exactly. Like yeah, because they have such like a super bad yeah. click type of friend, and but he's one of and and it's weird because he kind of played not a similar character. But in Freaks and Geeks, it's not very Rogan either. It becomes yeah. more Rogan. Yeah. Rogan-y as it goes on. Yeah. But he starts as like the tough kid with a buzz cut and like a chip on his shoulder. And then eventually he has to let his hair grow out and he fucking chills out and it's cool. It's like yeah. a metaphor for his I career. Think, yeah. But it's still it's still strange to see that version of him here. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Th- I think they didn't really figure out like what works with Seth Rogen until he did like Undeclared, and that's like when he was just like, okay, this is where he's at. And he's this, <laughs> <laughs> stoner guy. <laughs> yeah. It's so bizarre. Like I don't think this guy Seth, it's cool. this crazy, crazy, creepy bully, would even have friends as well. He seems like the type of person that no one would want to hang out with. Such a piece of shit, dude. Dude, the psycho and. And I appreciate, I do appreciate, like, I always hate bullies in high school movies because they just say the lamest shit and their friends go, oh, good one. Yeah. <laughs> but in this one, they just say, like, really awful, like, hurtful <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. For no yeah. reason, with no context. And that's more what a bully is. They just say, like, really cutting things and, like, act really weird and make you feel, feel like you're going to get fucking stabbed <laughs> at any moment. <laughs> So it's a more realistic yeah. take on a bully. I, I think what makes it even funnier is the fact that it is just like nothing about this film makes sense. Like, so everything is just sort of like just no. crazy. Everything feels fucking crazy at all times. And that's probably just like that's what thing, Richard like, Kelly went through when he was bullied it, by someone at one point. And he's just like, that's how I felt. So I'm going to write that down. And it's like, ah. Yeah. You feel like you're, you feel like you're living in a, pardon the fucking pun, a mad world. But like Donnie is, you know, told he is crazy. Yeah. But if he's crazy in a crazy world, does that make him crazy, right? He's the most sane person there. Yeah, That's the whole point. It's like, I'm not crazy, you are. I mean, right. I read that but yeah, Seth weird. Rogen and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal both agreed at the end of filming at the rap party that neither one of them knew what the fuck this film was about. <laughs> 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 you wouldn't at that time you fucking wouldn't yeah. where you're just getting themes yeah. and you're just reading what I imagine Richard Kelly's confusing our script you'd be like what the fuck I don't know what the fuck the movie is about alright we have Jolene Purdy here we go another big funny like in retrospect yeah. holy shit she plays uh, she's great and she's in Orange yeah. is the New Black she's in WandaVision now so as well nice to see her. so um, she had big yeah role. she's one of the neighbors so, yeah she yeah. plays Sharita Chen who Good to see her. fucking hell they are so mean to her, like so mean to her. I know, I know so when mean. I was younger, I used to feel really real. bad about how mean they were to, to Sharita and stuff. And it was just like really fucked up. Like the whole go back to China. Like it was just like, Oh yeah. God. 
shut up. Yeah, the whole yeah. shut up, shut up. And I, I think when I was younger, but like, then that moment where Donnie comfort her, yeah, was so beautiful. I never really thought about that when I was like younger. I think I always sort of felt it was just sort of harsh, and I was just like, dude, why is this? Like, why? Like, I mean, it's realistic. Fucking people are racist, especially in America. I but think. like, it was just like, is this like? just the repetitive nature of it. It was just felt like, are, are we doing this like to say something about like racism? Or are we doing this just because we think it's funny and just like all the bullies get all these, like the guys who are bullying them are Donnie's friends. So you're supposed to kind of like them and they have like these funny, like quips and lines and stuff about like, you know, like, fucking smurfs and blah blah blah. And, and it, it's kind of smoking and grandma death. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, Oh, well, are we supposed to laugh at this? But then, yeah, watching it now, I just like, you feel even worse for it. And then that, yeah, that scene with Donnie yeah, coming to her to know. basically say, you know, things are going to get better. You know, it's just like, Oh, it's so fucking sweet. <laughs> and like, yeah, she dropped the book and she's like, you know, obviously crushing yeah. on Donnie could be the only person who'd ever been nice to her. Mm-hmm. Even if you'd not been actively nice, he's just not making fun of her. No, exactly. I don't, th- I don't think you're supposed to laugh. Catherine Ross, who plays Dr. Lillian Thurman. So Donnie's uh shrink. She's uh Elaine Robinson from The Graduate. Never knew. She was yeah. in like sort of weird semi-retirement and she had only done like four films since like, I don't know, the 70s or the Graduate. 80s or something like that. And of course, let's get to the main event. The reason why we're here. It's Easter time. The main event. <laughs> The bunny James Duvall as Frank Anderson, aka Frank the Rabbit. Snack time. Thought it was alright, you thought it was over, but now you're having snack time in lockdown. Three point. Snack time. It's snack time. Now you're having snack time. Uh, I was waiting for the snack time. Phil, if you waiting. don't have, you know what I got. You gotta have. What do you have? Should we just go one, I gotta, two? I got my two, three. <laughs> Reveal. <gasps> we both have. Oh, you got the big one. Bunnies. Chocolate bunnies. Chocolate for snack bunnies. Time. I almost, I almost got that one, but I was like, oh, I'll be a waste of snack time. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a lint gold bunny milk chocolate. Um, I've never had one I, of these before. I got a lint egg. And you got a lint egg? I thought that was a Kit Kat. The Kit Kat bunny? No, this is the Kit Kat bunny oh, okay. for snack time. But for Easter, oh. I treated myself. Oh, nice. And I will eat an, a lint egg. Yeah, I got the Kit Kat bunny. I usually like the Maltese one, but I'm trying. I'm going to try the Kit Kat one. That looks amazing. I'm I'm curious because I've never had one. Uh, and I, It's been a long time since I've had a, a chocolate bunny. Um, and most of the time I'm always kind of concerned about eating it. Like, do I bite its ears off first? Um, do I bite its face? I was going to say, is it going to be hollow inside? It kind of feels like a jip. Yeah. Is this hollow? It doesn't feel hollow. Yeah. I don't think it's hollow. All right. I'm going in. This is my bunny. It is hollow inside. Going in. Ooh, ears first. It is hollow. I feel like a jip. 
That looked really weird. It's just a rabbit with a gaping hole in the back. <laughs> yeah, it's like Donnie, Donnie shot him through the eye and his fucking ears blew off. <laughs> he should have taken a bite of the eye. Yeah. That's really good. Lint chocolate's fucking good. It is. That's like top notch chocolate. How many um, earmuffs do you give it? How <laughs> many Sharita Chen's earmuffs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I give it, to be honest, man, <laughs> I'm going to give it four. I thought it was going to be lower than that. Lint is like, good, dude. I was like, that's pretty good. I mean, actually, you know what? Fuck it. I can see you staring at it. Like, I want I'm going to say five, actually. Fuck it. It's actually really good. I wasn't, I'm very surprised. I didn't wow. think it was going to be that good. Fair enough. Good. All right. Bite into your, you got a <laughs> Kit Kat bunny, eh? It's a Kit Kat bunny. It's that Kit Kat on the, on the feet. <laughs> I've not tried it. It looked really lazy, to be yeah. honest. It looked like they just sort of cut bits out of a Kit Kat. <laughs> Just you know, carved into it's a not really head. shaped. It's really lazy, yeah. to be honest. But I'll, I'm gonna take a bite. I'm going ear first as well. Oh my god! I love a Kit Kat. Oh my god, dude! I love a Kit Kat. That was like spiritual right now. <laughs> that bite. That like filled me with such a warm feeling. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> Mother fear. Where's it going? On I love spectrum? it. <laughs> Fear. <laughs> How many Sharita Chin? No, dude, I love this. I'll give it a a four. Four. Don't want to go too crazy. I feel like I'm saying five because I haven't had real chocolate in a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, you've been doing the vegan thing. How's that going? Yeah. So, I mean, it just ended. Uh, you just saw it end. Shit. Um. See what you did, Richard uh, Kelly. But. <laughs> Hack. Richard Kelly ended my veganism. Hack. <laughs> yeah. Hack. No, it's great. All right. So, James Duvall. I don't know if you know much about James Duvall. He was in Independence Day, so people might, you know, know him from that. He's this like weird hot shot. Like, he was this. It's hard. Like, it's hard to even understand. He was like in this weird sort of like the young Hollywood sort of crowd of people like, you know, people who would have been like, you know, whining and dining with fucking Leonardo DiCaprio back in the, in the early to mid nineties and stuff like that, that crew, crew yeah. of young people, like the Tobey Maguire's and all that sort of stuff. And like, they appear like basically all, like the cast that's in like Drew Barrymore's never been kissed. Like, all those young people. It's like <laughs> those people hanging out with all like and making all these crazy ass movies like in indie films in the 90s. And I never really understood James Duvall besides the fact that he's like he is a good looking person. He's a good looking guy. I get that. But when he talks, mm-hmm. he sounds like this. <laughs> like, it's like, what are you doing in the road? <laughs> like his voice just does not fit. And it always fucked my mind up more than this film ever could. And that's it doesn't it doesn't fit. That's yeah. the hill I'm dying on with Donnie Darko. Fuck like the whole thing about the being a hack. The- it's just James Duvall, his voice does not fit his face. And it What are you doing in the room? They should have had him talk. <laughs> yeah, he, he's apparently in the suit the entire time in this film as well, which is pretty funny. I think it helped. I think it's meant to be sort of like good Frank voice and no dark and brooding that's like an effect on it. Very weird. Yeah. Very grown up. So to like create even more of a disparity. And he has like a really childish voice when he finally <laughs> talked at the end. 
Yeah. I know. Yeah. I got nothing, something I've not picked up on, but I think I will now always I'm care. I'm sorry. I'm for And then come on, watch it. I'll be like, fuck, man. <laughs> Fucking James Duval. What the fuck? <laughs> Uh, Richard Kelly said he was inspired possibly by Watership Down for the rabbit. So, all right. We, the cartoon? No, well, like, the, there was a book and stuff, because Watership Down the book, book the they book were sign. supposed to be, like, moving on to that once Graham Greene got censored. Like, that happened in the director's cut, but it got cut out of the, the theatrical version of the film. Um, and I think he had Watership Down on the Mind and the Rabbits and stuff, and apparently he thinks that's where he got this sort of thing from. Not by the fucking urban legend in Virginia of the Bunny Man, where he's fucking from with the he man in a hatchet, yeah. fucking like or an he's axe or cool whatever, like fucking in a bunny suit killing people. Donnie Darko kills people. He uh, has a fucking axe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Put my throw my hands off again. Th- like you're not going to sit here and pretend like this isn't like low key. <laughs> clearly inspired by like fucking. They're watching Evil Dead the and shit. It's set over Halloween. It's build up. It's a ho- yeah. The diversion of this movie that is just that. Like it's a horror movie about a kid who dresses up as a bunny who's like schizophrenic uh, and kills people. Um, but that wouldn't, I don't think that would be particularly memorable. <laughs> Obviously, it's the mix of sci fi and coming of age and all that that makes it interesting in yeah. Danny Darko. But yeah, I feel like it definitely wasn't by, I'm just putting words in Richard Kelly's mouth. Like, it definitely inspired by the urban <laughs> legend of the Bunny Man Bridge <laughs> in Virginia. And I'll have it no other yes. way. I don't care what you say now. I'm going to forever tell people that that's why there's a bunny in Danny Darko. <laughs> Because that's the better story in my yeah. head. So fuck it. Richard Kelly recalled several people showing him drawings of what they thought Frank should look like, describing them like the Easter Bunny. He he wanted Frank to be disturbing and animalistic. He produced initial sketches of Frank's face and presented them to the production designer Alex Hammond, who then made front and side drawings of the mask and sketches of the full suit. And then that was shipped it to shipped it mm. off to costume designer April Ferry who built a fursuit from scratch and hired a sculptor to create Frank's altered grin. I mean, it's an iconic, like, look, to be honest. Like, it's, it's a cool-looking suit. That mask is sort of, remem- yeah. like, memorable. Like, uh, you know, it's sort of an iconic it's, Yeah, the cover, yeah. you know? The poster. Filming for Donnie Darko, again, took 28 days. The same length of days and covered <gasps> in the film. Ooh. Same length it took him to write it's the weird, script. Man, it's weird. Every time you say something like that, I'm like Wayne Twelve. I'm like Wayne. I'm like yeah, man, that's weird. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's coincidence or if he fucking did it on purpose. Yeah, I wrote it in 28 days, or I said I did, and I filmed it in 28 days, or I said I did, <laughs> and the movie takes place for 28 days. <laughs> It's not 28 days later, though, so it's like, <laughs> I'll give, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> if at the end you went back in time and, like, you know, a plane engine fell into your house, then <laughs> yeah. it could be, like, weird and serendipitous or whatever. Richard Kelly said he lost 20 pounds well, one day from stress. 28 pounds. <laughs> 28 pounds. <laughs> Why did he just say 28 pounds? That could have been so... Dude, you won't believe it. I lost 28 pounds from the stress of filming on a tight schedule. You know, 
You're going to tell me I'm, I'm full of shit, but I'm telling you 28 pound. Let me finish this though. I'm telling you, Sorry. I'm telling you the fucking mindset of this guy. All right. You lost 20 pounds from the stress of filming to a tight schedule. Plus the pressure of justifying himself to others that he could direct the film. That must have been exhausting. Jesus. To be like every day being like, I can do this. Just let me do this. Like, Dude, no one said you like, couldn't no, stop, stop, stop like you're doing. It. <laughs> Just do it. We gave you money. We gave you like $4 million. Just do God. it. <laughs> it's imposter syndrome. And I know what that li- that's like to be a hack myself. Like I yeah, said, I know what I that know means. what it's like. <laughs> well, hack. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But he did it and he was doing a good job. Yeah, just... just Movie looks fucking great. Uh, cinematographer Stephen Poster agreed to be involved in the film after his initial meeting with Kelly, which saw the pair discussing... Which lasted 28 minutes. <laughs> which saw the pair dis- dissecting the script. Poster said, we read every word, every sentence, every page, every scene in the movie. I made him justify to me why he wanted it in the movie. I wanted him to be able to tell me what each scene was going to tell the audience. You know, that's a horrible exercise, but you need to do it, actually, when you write a script. It's like, yeah. you need to do it. Even if it's like, this just makes me laugh. You need to have a yeah. reason for everything. It, it needs that kind of... Yeah, I mean, and that's basically kind of what it said. They they were like, it needed it needed that to make the film, you know, and they, they knew it. And I think it created some arguments. Mm-hmm. But I just love the fact that, like, Richard Kelly this whole time is just worried about, like, if whether or not he can do this and whether or not people think he should be doing it. And everybody just keeps trying to fuck with his thing and it's for the better. Cause like the, when he finally got his way, it's just like, I don't know, dude, it's a mit look, dude, it's a collaborative thing. And I get it. You had the idea. It wouldn't have happened without Richard Kelly, but like once you're making the movie, loads of people are going to come in board and have an input and that's good. That's normal. And the film will change. And it fucking, it should change. Yeah. It shouldn't be exactly as it was on paper because then what have you done? Where's the actual interpretation? Where's the adaptation? It's outside eyes, man. Outside eyes. Exactly. He needs to like embrace it, but it's easier to, to, you know, reach back in time and be like, chill out, dude. Let's just, just make <laughs> the movie. And, you know, everybody is trying to make this movie. Don't need to be so fucking defensive all the time. Right. So the future blobs. The vortex thing coming out of Donnie and the that Donnie pump. can see other people, you know, have coming out of their bodies and yeah. stuff. That was apparently yeah, he can inspired by Richard Kelly, I think drunk or something watching Monday night football. And he was looking at the drawings that John Madden would do like on the CBS chalkboard or whatever. And it would just oh. be like those weird plays and like yeah, yeah. weird, like and he's going to go this way. And then like, <laughs> so I love that. So like a play, that. like on a football like, game. Dude, That's really cool. They just fucking come out of their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're an MD and you see like the fucking lines on everything, like all the colors and like everything in movement had lines, <laughs> like the drifting lines, and it's like following a path. And you're like, what the fuck? That's what it reminds me of. Richard Kelly did actually run trip. into a little bit of luck when so. The movie theater scene, he originally intended to have Donnie and Gretchen going to see Chud from 1984, but there was problems trying to figure out who owned the rights to the film. So finally, 
Sam Raimi came to the rescue by allowing Kelly to use and distort footage of the Evil Dead free of charge. Sam Raimi rules. Sam Raimi rules. Nice guy. Uh, we just did the Quick and yeah. the Dead over at Patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Add good movie. Good movie. Surprisingly good movie. Ari and I had a lot of fun talking about it. Go check it out. Support the podcast. Get bonus episodes. It's a fun episode. All right, let's get into the soundtrack. All right, so the film score was composed by musician and songwriter. All around me. <laughs> Michael Andrews. In one of his first film compositions, Richard Kelly knew that the budget would basically prevent him from getting any bigger names like Thomas Newman or Danny Elfman. So he looked for a young and hungry composer. And Andrews was recommended by, here we go again, the producer, Nancy Junovan, who... Man, I don't think they would have made this film without her because, like, she is the reason why her Noah name comes up a Wiley, lot. Noah Weil was in the film. She was in the re- she was the reason why Patrick Swayze was in the film. So yeah, and she got Michael Andrews involved. And to be honest, before we even get into the fucking soundtrack that he like cultivated around this film with Richard Kelly, the fucking like original mm. score is really good really fun sort of cool music like haunting good. sort of music uh cool piano pieces and stuff fun stuff dun, 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 dun. yeah i love it the soundtrack of course opens with the killing moon by echo and the bunny man and i'll have it no other way down down you can't open this film any other way it's like you said earlier it's so fucking iconic it's perfect so good so good. perfect it's a perfect opening for me yeah such a good film it's like they make the song better make yeah. the movie better it's like a, a really a, a really a, another really iconic piece i mean that's the thing this film it's like it works so well with the music and stuff i think if you ch- like like we saw with the director cut if you change things it doesn't work anymore the continuous shot <laughs> of the introduction mm. of donnie's high school it features Head Over Hills oh, by, cameras, yeah, for, by Tears for Fears. Oh, so fucking cool. Dude, I love it. Great. He likes Tears for Fears, Yeah, so great. Uh, Richard Kelly basically had that particular song in his mind before he even got the rights to the song. So he shot this thing. He was, so he was, filming he was doing to all it. this stuff, filming to it, and apparently it pissed off the crew who were really annoyed by it, thinking he was making this like wanky, glorified music video. But <laughs> I think once they actually saw oh, it on. in the final product, they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, they, wow, they must have fucking hated uh, Edgar Wright on Baby Driver <laughs> if that annoyed them. If one shot. <laughs> now imagine doing a whole movie, whole movie. cut to a yeah. fucking, cut to fucking, if one cut to music fucking glorified video we got the sparkle motion dance sequence uh performed to notorious by duran duran really fun we've got yeah notorious. a couple of songs that appear during the party sequence and stuff we got under the milky way by the church six song and then mm. love song. will tear us apart by joy division fucking another six song because you can't have an emo teen flick without the most like emo song level two yeah. you gotta do it and of course the biggest song from the film of like you know bigger I mean you know I, I still feel like you know just Tears for Fears and The Killing Moon and stuff like fucking hell those are so iconic for this film but the in sequence of course I always kind of forget how actually nice it is I think it's just because it's so overdone today it's used really um, fucking well 
but yeah. it's because yeah, of yeah. this film and that song was all it's over the place this film yeah i remember the music video yeah yeah, yeah. So the end sequence is a cover of Tears for Fears' Mad World by Gary Jules. So originally, mm. they wanted U2's MLK to play, but they failed to get the rights. And Michael Andrews got his pal Gary Jules to come over to his place, and they recorded a cover of Mad World instead. And that song blew the fuck Beautiful. up. It became Christmas number one yeah. in the UK. Yeah, in December no 2003, which I didn't know about. And then just since it's got placed in so many like films and TV shows to a point where I think people just forget that it's a cover. Like I I think like if I hear the Tears for Fears yeah. version, I'm just going to be like what? Like that That's sounds weird. weird. <laughs> that version sounds weird. Yeah, I went on like lot yeah, when we watched it last, we were like listening to it and be like you forget how different the original is one of those covers that really yeah. had get the life of it known and sort of overshadowed the original, which is a shame because both are good, both are very different, depends what sort of mood you're in. Yeah. But that Gary Jewell song was fucking insane <laughs> when I was a kid. Everywhere. One of those music videos I saw at least once a day. And it's a sh- it's a shame now because it's been reduced to a sort of a mm-hmm. joke. The meme, it's a fucking punchline in a vine, yeah. right? for the music to cut for the piano to come in and shit it's a great song beautiful song and you know fucking well here yeah and I think like it's not even like that bad that it's become a bit of a meme because that just shows how iconic that like ending to the film is it's like in Wayne's world it's like yeah, yeah. all those fucking like parodies that they do oh, they're yeah. all like all the movie still endings. iconic in, in the film or even not even like the endings but just parodies they do like leading up to the ending or something like there's so many things that they do that it just doesn't take away from the fact that those film moments are iconic. And I feel like that is sort of like a, just a great film moment. It, even if it's pretentious as fuck, it's just like, it's great. You know, it like rewatching it. I was like, Oh yeah, this song slaps. That scene is kind of fun. Like just yeah. showing what it's like, you know, if Donnie like actually made it through a weird vortex, I mean, cause it doesn't make sense, but whatever he, he, they don't explain how Donnie actually. Cr- it's a portal. It, it makes matter. sense. It's a portal. It doesn't, but it's, it's a thing that opens up in time. It's it's like being a in a place, yeah, a certain place at a certain time, and things align, and you're just there, and he happens to. I'm, I mean, yeah. glad they don't show it because how does he do it? Because it's, it's like how does he you, do it? They, you'd forever yeah. question how does he do it? How does is he it, enter is it the this vortex void? Thing coming out of his, you just need who, to know. <laughs> no, that's just like him seeing the Matrix. You know, that's yeah. like Neo seeing the Matrix. That's like yeah. him, like off his meds, and he's like, "What yeah. the fuck?" Was he ever that's on his meds? That's something you should uh, ponder. Hey, well, Donnie Darko premiered that's at Sundance in January of 2001, <laughs> but it took around six months to secure a theatrical release. One big issue was the Donnie firing the gun in the film and it was only a couple years removed from Columbine so people were really apprehensive about that another thing that was kind of Mm. worrying the filmmakers was that like some of the licensed music hadn't been paid for yet and they just thought it might be pulled (laughs) and then it's fine it's fine Richard Kelly released it now before they even figure it out Richard Kelly was also advised to cut 30 minutes from the film so again people are just like dude this film don't work you gotta cut it Despite all this, though, New Market Films bought the film and organized a theatrical release through IFC Films after Christopher Nolan and his wife, producer Emma Thomas, 
as well as uh, Memento producer Aaron Ryder arranged a private screening for new market executives who were also releasing Memento at the time. So they kind of helped Interesting. the film get out there. I think they sort of packaged like when Memento was coming out, putting like the trailer into the cinemas, like with Memento and stuff. Two fucking together, mind yeah. films. <laughs> Mind fucking movies. Aaron Ryder worked with Richard Kelly to get the film into the best possible shape. This is like, that was a quote. They worked to get him yeah. in the best possible shape, uh, which involved an, ad- <clears throat> an, additional <laughs> an additional day of shooting to clarify some plot holes, such as including shots of Frank plot in the uh, Mad World sequence. Nolan and Thomas also advised kelly to insert title cards throughout the film to break down the events leading up to october the 30th 1988 it's weird christopher nolan having like his fucking hands on this film is kind of weird it's just uh, i know i know the it obviously at the same time but they just feel like filmmakers of two different eras Even though obviously Nolan is his about to first break big film. Memento and <laughs> yeah. shit, but it's like yeah, exactly. But like it feels like it was years yeah. later before people started talking about Nolan like that. Not like well into after he started doing Batman and shit. It would I think Dark Knight onward, everybody would like. Poof. Now it's kind of dropped off a bit, but it's just weird. Yeah. It's weird that they're. I don't the, know. I guess, uh, an over, uh, yeah, I guess there. like around the same time. That like one feels like a nighty yeah. movie. One feels like a really like late direct two thousand director, but yeah, I don't know. Like, the, I I still feel like I feel like uh, Memento just feels really. I mean, it is it's twenty years old, and I feel like that because I remember seeing it around two thousand four, two thousand five with some friends and stuff, and just like kind of losing your mind to it, just trying to like, you know, mm. just like oh shit, like you know, Memento is crazy, weird movie, <laughs> like you know, it's told differently the story. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what? I do, I do, uh, feel like it was from the same time, but I get that it, you don't really think about them being in the same circles, like that that's his contemporary, that Christopher Nolan is mm, a contemporary connected of, to. and connected to had his fucking Kelly. opinions about this film and helped Richard Kelly craft a final product of it, which is really crazy. Yeah. For the better. Donnie Darko was yeah. released in the U S of U S in October of 2001 with the film released. Six weeks after September 11th attacks. Here we go again. September 11th. God damn. Uh, the film's trailer basically featured an accident involving an airplane. So audiences didn't exactly flock to see it. God damn. Yeah. The film grossed a hundred. Bad fucking timing. Like just a little over $110,000 in its opening weekend. Ranking at number four at the box office. Oh, sorry. Number 34. Ranking at number 34 at the box office. Yeah. And it, that's a bad week if, if that was the fourth <laughs> one. And it ended its US run at only $517,000. But the film started to gain some that's buzz crafty. when it hit international markets and the home video uh, with the October home video 2002 hit, yeah. release in the UK. It generated a lot of interest. It sold around 300,000 tickets in its first six weeks here in the UK based on word of mouth alone. Engrossed around $2.5 million. Uh, after numerous re-releases, though, Donnie Darko, and this, I guess this should include the uh, director's cut, the film Donnie Darko made around $7.5 million worldwide for, with a further $10 million in home media 
off the back of word of mouth and some clever marketing with the film's website leading to its cult oh, status. So, I mean, like, it became a big wow. it took a couple cult years, film. Though. It took a couple of years. Word of mouth. People find it. Like me, just find it on fucking That's TV or movie. something, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then 2004 rolls around. Richard Kelly. I think he went... <laughs> I think he. Oh, I think back. he went to an anniversary screening of Donnie Darko somewhere. It was like one year anniversary, <laughs> and he saw that people were interested in stuff, and he just he's just like he's like this. I'll do my director. <laughs> I, I think it's time. And uh, th- yeah, so there was like this cult following and stuff, and they re-released the director's cut, and then they put it out on DVD, or whatever. But it's an additional twenty minutes that were cut from the film, which. Overly explains the time travel with pages from the <laughs> philosophy of time travel superimposed over the film, all of which was written after filming. I might add, because Richard Kelly didn't fucking know what was going on when he made this movie. I'm just saying that because that's what I read. <laughs> all that shit he wrote after the movie was made. So he explained that their inclusion was to help the film operate on a more logical, fluid level a bit more of a science fiction film that he always intended it to be. He also added back in things like the fact that Donnie was actually on placebos uh, and that the film's events were taking place in a tangent universe, which was unstable. And that Donnie was granted like (laughs) sort of like superpowers uh, because he was a living receiver, whatever the fuck that means. And that Donnie had like, I was all these like allusions a to Donnie having like you know, uh, like mind powers and shit. Like I don't know, like too much, too it too much. It just you're adding too much yeah. there, and the movie flows better at more this mood piece, this melodic sort of. I don't even know. It doesn't play like a science fiction film, and that's good. Yeah. The original cut. It doesn't play like a Back to the Future where it's scene after yeah. scene of exposition. It's more of this. Yeah, the sort of the meandering sort of coming of age yeah, journey. It's a weird teen movie. Into really yeah. weird territory. Keep it like that. It should be sort of spacey yeah. and like you're floating, like you don't know where you are. And if people just, it's not a like sit down, talk about it movie. Yeah. You know, like that. It just, again, I think he's missing the point. I don't think he realized it what's really good about that movie. Maybe it's everyone else and he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah, I mean, one thing that you try to explain that Donnie's objective is to return the jet engine back to the primary universe to avert disaster. It's just like, what? What? Like, I don't know. It's basically just over-explaining everything. And it took away the ambiguity that made Donnie Darko Darko likable as a dumb mindfuck that trips out 13-year-olds. Like, it's just not, like, fun when it's over-explained. Not fun anymore. And, of course, the biggest sin of all was... In the director's cut, we've kind of made no, we've made mention of this quite a few times. For some reason, in the opening scene of the film, the we decided fuck, to dude? swap out the Killing Moon with "Never Tears Apart" by NXS because that's what he originally envisioned to be in the film. But due to money, he had to go with the Killing Moon. Oh, he had to go with the Killing Moon. Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> i mean it's a weird like it's a obviously it's a fucking great song yeah but like what are you doing i can understand all the other decisions because you're only you're just adding to the movie you know you're not taking away but that's something you took away and that's a pretty important moment i think 
it's it's, tone. Yeah, it's funny because that's the thing. That's a different tone. That's the thing that comes up a lot when people are talking about the director's cut. To be honest, I don't really care because I put this in that mainly that I put this in that sort of category with like all like reboot month and stuff. Reboot month that uh, you know I don't have to watch it because it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. And I, no. I don't really care. It's just yeah. the fact that it... And I won't ever again. The fact that it like it does exist and the fact that he did all that and the fact that like a lot of going into this film kind of made my head hurt last night when I was doing research and stuff just because it was just like, man, it's just I'm kind of ruining the original film. Yeah, it's just a number 28 all the, it's everywhere. It's just better left alone. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. I mean, that's Donnie Darko. I... I still think it's kind of fun, though. It's like, I think it will always sort of have a place to be this sort of like fun film to trip out young kids and then uh, something to laugh at as an adult. You don't analyze it too much. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, if you don't do what I did and go down the rabbit hole, you're probably going to be all right. So uh, just remember, there's not always chocolate eggs down in those rabbit holes. You know, sometimes it's just a lump of shit. That's been the Pot Charles Cinecast, everybody. Uh, we love you guys. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> nice. All around me are hack faces, hack places, hack places. Bright and early for the hack races Going nowhere, going nowhere The hack filling up their glasses Hack expression, hack expression Hide my hack, I wanna drown my sorrow No tomorrow, no tomorrow Find it kind of hack. Me. I find it kind of hack. The dreams in which I'm hack are the best I've ever hack. I find it hard to hack. Find it hard to hack. When people run in circles, it's a very, very hack. Oh.